Mind GFO Radio. We are uh, on location here in uh, what? This is Long Island Lake. How do you say it? Ronkonkum. Ronkonkanaka. <laughs> I think it's Coma. But uh, it's actually Lee's. Ron-Kunkuma. Oh, you got it. What was it? Ronkonkuma. Say it again. Ronkonkuma. Ronkonkuma. So maybe we'll, we'll wander away from the the wedding music, but. We're here at Lee Spiegel's wedding. This is uh, myself, uh, Martin Willis, of course, is here with us to do some news. And we're joined by a special guest, Mark D'Antonio. Hey, how's it going and what's happening? <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do uh, some news here. And then otherwise, coming up in just a second, will be our guest. And our guest this week is Danny Silva of the Silva Records. So we'll be talking about some of the latest news regarding, like, uh, the Navy videos and all that good stuff. But uh, over here by the lake, uh, let's first talk with these couple of characters. I guess I should also apologize. I haven't done a show in a couple months, but that's because... We had the UFO Congress, which, of course, was, is a lot of work. And then I moved. Uh, so I moved up uh, my house. I sold my house. I had to move out of there and then move uh, to a different state. So it's been really crazy, and that's why I haven't done a show in a while. But luckily, you've uh, had Martin to listen to. And you had a great show. How did your show go the other day? You had Kevin Day, Gary Voorhees, Robert Powell. Am I missing anybody? No, uh, myself, but, you know. I'm just in the background. No, it went great. Um, I enjoyed uh, hearing some things I hadn't heard before. And Like what? Well, um, for instance, I'd never heard of Gary's story, basically. Uh. And, and, uh, and his experience, and actually that he actually witnessed the, uh, the Tic Tac UFO through the, I think they call them the big eye, the Uh-oh. binoculars. On We're in the, trouble. We are. We just got... Lorraine's here. That the bride came out and busted us. Oh, yes. Busted. Absolutely. Busted with a capital B. <laughs> yeah. Can you be surprised? I'm sure if we told Lee we were doing this, he would come out and want to be Most doing definitely. it. Most <laughs> definitely. Lee Spiegel would be right Most there Most definitely, us. which is why I told <laughs> him it was time to cut the cake. Oh, it's cake cutting time. All right, well, <laughs> we'll, we'll put continued. this on pause and we'll go cut now. some cake. <laughs> All right, we are back outside. We got busted by the bride, uh, Lorraine, because it was time to eat cake, and we were out here doing UFO stuff. Let us eat cake. And eat it, too, yes. She's like, oh, I should have known you guys are out here recording, and you're supposed to be in here when we're out here doing UFO stuff. By the way, we're out by this beautiful lake that only Mark can pronounce (laughs) the name of. Ronkonkoma. And uh, no UFOs, but this is a great spotting area if there are to be any. 
Ooh, U.S. My U.S. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, you know what? Let's bring that into the news. Let's start it off with that, if that's cool. There's some talk. Martin's like, I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't ready for that in particular. But uh, I did see Mars. it about the uh, David Fravor interview with uh, Joe Rogan. And he talks about this torpedo that was up near the surface. And yeah. I believe there was a diver next to it or near it. And a black object came up from the depths that looked like a disc. Am I getting that right so far or similar? I think you got it right. I believe they definitely And it looks like, it's his, in his words, um, it swallowed the torpedo. Now, was this something he witnessed? Went um, I, I think, think it was an account hand. from... Yeah. Second hand, yeah. yeah. Yeah, wild. But I do still. remember that. I do remember that. I, I, of course, I'm, I'm somewhat partial to USOs, having yes. witnessed one. Your submarine yeah. adventure. Yeah. When you have more time. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that more. eventually when you, you know, we can. Yeah. What were you going to say? You were going to follow up on that? No, I said we can follow up on the on Mark's um, oh, USO. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the USO story. So that's out there. That's kind of interesting. And uh, somebody wrote about it. Oh, Popular Mechanics. Wrote right. an article about it, That's right. and they were actually very positive. Where popular me- mechanics can be very skeptical, and and I don't, th- I think sometimes they go a little too far. I think they take cues from the Navy and and what the official Navy stance is, and the official Navy stance has changed. This is key. It used to be that the Navy uh, would just clam up. You know, I know that from experience, having working for them a lot. But unfortunately. Uh, the Navy's put up against the wall on these things because there's too many people talking about them, including their own people. So now they either have to say they're all wrong, they're all lying, or, yeah, we haven't been telling you exactly everything that there is to tell. And now that's why they've admitted that these things do have merit. And you know they've changed their policy for instructing their naval personnel. You've talked about it yourself. Yeah. I was uh, recently in, uh, you know, my real job is in antiques and art and stuff like that. And I was recently in a home where the guy said he was a Navy uh, aviation control or something like that. I'm I'm not sure exactly what his position was in California. Uh, He recently retired. And I asked him what he thought about the Navy coming out with UFOs, if he heard anything about it, or coming out with uh, being able to discuss UFOs, pilots, and stuff like that. He said, that's very, very interesting. He said, you know what, I was... uh, out in California, we used to see these things on the radar, and he said they would be visible, and then they'd disappear and show up over somewhere else. And he said, I just always thought it was some experimental thing because we were near some bases that did experimental aircraft. Mm-hmm. And he said, so I just left it at that and never yeah. thought much about it. Let's so. see, the, 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 from a physics point of view, if we look at some of the ways and methodologies in which they think they, meaning a lot of us who do this research and plus other people out there, uh, the way these things are propelled, that apparent vanishing and reappearing somewhere else is actually very consistent with the physics that would generate such a visual effect to us watching it. So we're not too far away from actually knowing whether that's a real thing. So are you saying that this technology uh, would entail being able to kind of disappear and reappear in another location or just move so quickly that it would appear that they're not moving, but they are? They actually never traverse the space in between their locations, whether the origin and destination. They actually punch out of our four dimensions, X, Y, Z, moving through time, and then punch back in at a slightly different location. That's one of the... uh, that's one of the thought. Uh, that's that's one of the ways they think that maybe these things are propelled. Mm-hmm. Again, they being researchers 
and folks that have looked into string theory and other ways in which these things work. One of the main, one of the main thought processes is that flying saucers and UFOs were triangles and circular because they're particle accelerators. And if they accelerate particles a certain way, then it can be shown through physics. You can actually see the equations. I can show them to you. That actually show you how certain particles get generated that will allow these 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 craft to exit our four dimensions and punch in somewhere else, kind of at a moment's notice. If that technology can be shown and proven to the satisfaction of a lot of academia, that changes everything for how we can travel interstellar. Because as long as we can harness the energy to do this, right, then we should be able to do that in the future. And we could punch out, punch in anywhere we want. Think about that. What do you mean by anywhere you want? I mean, is, that's, that's, does it have a limitation for distance? I, I don't have a, a clue. I do know that if we were to punch out and punch in right now for us, if we had this technology, maybe we could punch out and punch in, uh, punch out and show up maybe near the moon or something. I don't know. I don't know if, yeah. if distance is a limitation or if the it's more likely the energy is the limitation. We have to have the right amount of energy to be able to do these 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 punches, so to speak. I think you lost me at punch, but I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah that it's a, it's a punch bowl. Mark, Mark. When we get into this kind of science, it makes my head feel like it's in a centrifuge or in a, <laughs> you know, spinning around. Yeah. But I mean, a the lot. Planet's spinning, so that's why. Yeah, that could be it. Nine hundred plus miles an hour. It's about a thousand. Well, some people argue that uh, you know, that's what essentially Bob Lazar is describing that they're dish shaped because uh, they're kind of like a particle accelerator. Uh, how do you feel about? Lazar's explanation of physics. Don't get him going. Any of that pizza left? (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Frankly, um, I'm on the fence about Bob Lazar myself personally. And the reason I am is not because I'm trying to play both sides, but because of the fact that I'm, uh, I'm very concerned about some of the things he says, the lack of his background. And could the U.S. government wipe out everyone's background? I don't know. If I knew that for sure, then I would say that maybe he's, you know, more believable than not. What about the science, though? The science actually is something that, um, well, let's be honest. He was talking about element 115 before element 115. That's not true, though. I mean, there wasn't a scientist been talking about element 115 since the 70s. He was talking about properties of element 115 that we found to be in the periodic table in the end. We figured that out. Hmm, I would need to see that. I definitely have not okay. seen evidence of that. All right, well, uh, <laughs> but anyway, that's interesting. Fair. That's yeah, fair. I wanted to hear what you think, and, and you're, you're more positive about the science than I had expected, which is interesting. But let's get into uh, some other stories that are out there, and I think, Martin, you have some ready for us. Well, I just wanted to talk about this because we have an astronomer with us. Where? Mark D'Antonio. <laughs> um, oh. So... This has been out um, in the news a bit. A former NASA scientist is convinced we already found life on Mars. I know this isn't UFO related, but uh, but it is very interesting when you consider, um, you know, the key part of this means actually discovering life elsewhere besides here on planet Earth. Off world. Off world. That's the saying. Yeah. So, Mark, um, I know you. We just talked earlier. You didn't get a chance to read this article, but what do you think about? the possibility of life already being discovered on Mars. Well, as you mentioned earlier, Martin, back in the 70s when the Viking laboratories were baking samples, they didn't have the capability to really truly discern whether the results indicated there might have been life at Mars, either presently or at that time or at one time. But 
We now have landers on Mars that can do this. The InSight lander is doing some, some uh, processes now on Mars that will dictate uh, whether life was ever possible. We think it is. We think it was. And the reason is because we can see indicators in the rock strata that Mars was once a very wet place. That, to us, says, well, water is the basis of life on Earth. We all started in the water. That's why we have salinity in our skin. We, have, we took a little vestigial ocean with us as we left the ocean. That's why we're salty. Okay. Well, that said, Mars also had oceans at one time and also large lakes. Now, would that have been long enough for life to form? Well, it seems that's possible because even though the lakes dried up several billion years ago and the oceans disappeared long ago, it's still possible that microbes, tenacious as they are, continue to hold on. I reference things like tardigrades, which can exist in a vacuum of space. And they go into cryptobiosis, where they just shut down and go into hibernation. Fifty years later, you give them some water, and they're back to life. Right. They're, they're also referred to as water bears. And for That's people correct. who don't know, they're kind of like a little caterpillar-looking thing that uh, is microscopic. That's right. That's right. And uh, they're, I just imagine if any of those were like the size of a building, that everybody would run for their lives, because they are <laughs> fierce-looking monsters. Have you watched Star Trek Discovery? Of course. Yeah, they kind of... That was like a big tardigrade-looking right. thing they had captured. <laughs> That's right. But let me ask you this. So you talk about the InSight lander checking for water. Uh, right now, from the way I understand well, right, it, yeah. from talking uh, with different people with NASA, we really don't have yet a uh, lander that can uh, check for life just they can check for signs of possible life right. or signs that life could have existed but really i guess from from what i understand they would need to outfit uh, one of those landers with a microscope where it could look at some of these things and send those images back to discover that but i think somebody's got that is it the esa or, or one of our future landers i think they, they are going to do this well mars 2020 is also heading to mars at some point and that's going to have some capabilities like that uh we also have to remember that uh back in 2012 the most complete laboratory we ever launched landed on mars successfully and that was curiosity it is a complete Mars Science Laboratory. It has more instrumentation on it than any other lander on Mars has ever had. More than Spirit, more than Opportunity, more than Pathfinder, more than any of the others. This one had it all. And it's still tooling along in its 2019, and it's been going since 2012. Pretty good, considering it only had a 90-day uh, warranty. Yeah, freaking awesome. So another one I wanted to ask about was a sighting in North Carolina. So essentially, a video is taken off the coast. Uh, there are these lights in the sky. Oh, yeah. Do you have that one up there? Uh, I, I know, I, but I know about it. And I believe that was determined to be flares, if I'm thinking about the same one, or is that the one on the lake? I think you're right. There is one recently that said it was probably flares from Marines. Um, have you seen that video? I have, and I actually... I sent it to you, actually. You did, yes. Yeah. And thank you, Martin. Uh, and I hadn't had a chance to uh, find out whether there were any air guard drills going on in the area that could account for those lights. To me, they look like parachute flares. I've seen parachute flares. I've seen them de uh, deployed. I've seen them come down. I know how, and I photographed them, and I know what they look That's like. Great meeting you. We're going to take off. Great to meet you, okay. too. So Thank long. you so much. Take care. We'll bye see bye. ya. Thank you. Nice Thank to meet you. you. Thank you. Nice Thank you. You, too. You had to say bye to some wedding guests there. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll keep that in. So the uh, the uh, bottom line for me was that uh, although these look similar to the flares, 
until I actually can research that, I won't um, make a, I a believe decision that they, to say that until I research it. But if someone else did it, then more power I to I believe them. someone has uh, come up that with that as military, but uh, I'm just looking to see if I can find that now. Martin yeah, it does. Through his very high tech computer that he holds in his hand, <laughs> they call it a cell phone. Cell something. Yeah. Cell phone. Yeah. No. I don't see any cells. <laughs> but anyway, the uh, of course in Phoenix this happens a lot with the Goldwater uh, range. range. Yeah. They launch flares all the time, and I used to be skeptical though with some of the images I saw coming from the area were flares because they were so clear. And Goldwater Range is like you know some of the where these photos uh, the objects were were like 80 miles away that's right but having lived out there i of course made it a, a point to take some video and photos and sure enough you don't see smoke people are like you would see smoke no you don't see smoke yeah. and they fall so, so slowly yeah. i believe it is because they're so far away uh, it could be that they don't emit much smoke either it's, it's and they're extremely bright. bright and they slow they fall very when they're slow. at that distance so slowly it doesn't look like they, they're falling but they are i can tell you that uh, I photographed these bright orange lights that were about 80 miles away, past the Goldwater Range, from out in the Sonoran Desert. And I zoomed in, and I figured out why we don't see smoke. Because when I zoomed in, I could see smoke. Ah. But it's so low surface brightness compared to what the flare shows, oh. your eye stops down, and it's impossible to see it. Yeah. Okay? Unless you actually block out the flare... Okay, and when I when I zoomed in on these, I could actually see the smoke trailing upwards very, very clearly. It's the but same it was low reason. Surface brightness smoke. Right. Some people will ask, why don't you see stars when you're taking pictures of the moon or something, or you don't see it with planets because the planet is so bright, you can't see the stars, which are much dimmer. Just like we have with our eyeballs, like you're talking about. Right. I mean, you go outside, or you're not going to see things in the periphery that are dim if you're looking at something bright. That's right. You know, when you when you photograph the night sky. Okay, you can photograph the night sky and see plenty of stars, but then turn right around and take a photograph which shows the landscape, okay, not overexposed, but looking kind of decent and see no stars in the sky. Right. Because the stars are point lights. And to get those on film is going to take a lot more unless you've got a really bright one like, say, Jupiter or Venus, which is a planet, right, each in the sky. And if those are up in the sky, well, then you might see a little hint of those. But you have to take a time exposure to see it. And when, when, when we went to the moon, and we did go to the moon, Okay, to all those who think we may not have. No, we didn't. Martin and you and I didn't yeah. haven't gone yet. Oh, you haven't been no, there with we, me? Oh, no. <laughs> no, no. We're looking into it. Yeah. No, but, but when you take a photograph of the moon as an astronaut, you have to shoot for the lunar surface, which actually isn't very bright. It's only got like a 13 or 18% reflectivity, believe it or not. And everything else, of course, is a lot darker. So if you're going to shoot to get the moon right, you are hopelessly still unable to see the stars yeah but if you did a time exposure and aim the camera up and set it for a minute or whatever you'd see plenty of stars galore but then the moon would be blown right out bright white which is actually something our phones do people don't the hdr mode which is something photographers do too is they'll good point thank you they'll take photos at different um uh exposures and then combine those pictures so the object is at its best composure and that's how you could get some pictures where you have Things that are very dim uh, in the photo that's, where you couldn't have otherwise. This still show, that's right. And you have the latitude to play with that and go up and down to play with that uh, brightness setting, essentially. And But that's you, what your phone is doing in HDR right. move. It, it's taking multiple photos. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. 
We got th room for maybe one more uh, story. You got another one there, Martin? Yeah, since, uh, since Mark is here, I wanted to ask him what he thought about astronomers uh, detecting 20 more moons off of Saturn, and why now? Why did it take so long? Do you know that? Well, these are not very large moons. These are very small. And we now have the technology to do this detection a little better than we used to. So that's um, the reason? Well, don't forget, okay, we used to think that, that Jupiter and Saturn had far fewer moons. Saturn had 68 moons just a little while ago, right? Now it's up to 82, right? Hmm. So that happened, of course, because of the, uh, the, the, the better capabilities to discern moons and the effects these little moons have on Saturn's rings and the surrounding environs. What, what do you suppose these moons are a result of? I mean, why didn't they coagulate together and make bigger moons? Probably for, I mean, I'm only guessing here, but probably for the same reason that Saturn's rings never made it into being a moon. Okay, mm -hmm. proximity to Saturn, there's tidal forces that are in play, and these tidal forces will cause anything that's trying to coalesce to be torn apart again. All right, it's mm -hmm. something called the Roche limit, and it's, it's some, nothing that uh, you know, could survive being a solid body of any substantial size at that location in, in Saturn's environment because, of course, of the, the gravity Saturn has. It'll tear it apart from end to end. And, and so we're at uh, Lee's wedding now, and uh, we kind of read, you can hear the kids running around in the background. We're just here off Lake Ronkonkoma. 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 I think I said it right. But you talking about moons, uh, both of you, has given I'm me an idea. Yeah, there's a window right there we can go <laughs> press against and give the, the audience a little show. You, you first, and I'll videotape Yeah, that. that's right. Yeah, I'm I'll okay. videotape you doing that. Okay, get your video cameras okay, ready. Right Here we go. Okay, this video will be online when? Uh, <laughs> what, Monday, tomorrow, or the yeah. next day? You know what? If you guys watch, you'll see Alejandro mooning a wedding crowd. <laughs> and congratulations to Lee. He's too busy in there getting married and saying hi to all his family and friends, so we couldn't get him out here. But uh, congratulations, Lee and Lorraine, some of our yeah, good yeah, buddies. Yeah, they're great friends. It was a wonderful wedding. Just yeah. wonderful. All right, so after this break, we will get uh, to our guest, Danny Silva, so stay tuned. to have back on the show Danny Silva of the Silva Record. Hello, Danny. What's up, Alejandro? It was great to see you the other day, finally in person. Yep, great to see you too. So yeah, we got to see each other in Dallas, which is uh, where you're from, right? Yep, Dallas-Fort Worth. Yep, Dallas, Texas. So a lot of, I was surprised. I was out there for AlienCon. Uh, for people who aren't aware, last weekend, another one of the things that caused me not to have a, a show recently, I was surprised at the airport 
when uh, in San Diego and even in Phoenix, how many people flew out for the Cowboys game on Sunday? Yeah, you know, it's like it's like a religion out here. They do not play around. I guess and, so. Uh, the traffic uh, is crazy, and people get crazy. People get depressed if they lose. Like, like <laughs> feel it around the city. And from what they I understand, really, really they got seriously. like they got killed. They got yeah. That usually ends up happening. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and there were a lot of Packer fans too. But man, were there the airport was full of people in jerseys, mostly younger couples, but people who just flew out for that. Although yeah. I talked to some alien conners who said. They flew out for the Alien Con and the football game. Two birds with one stone. You know, the Cowboys, Cowboys fans all over the country, too. So. Yep. Yep, we got them here in Phoenix. Uh, we also have lots of Bronco fans, which is cool, because uh, I'm, a, I'm a Denverite. But uh, one of the things that you've been up to, of course, on the Silver Record, which is silverrecord.com, you cover a lot of To The Stars news. And you've been covering something really interesting, and this has been an exclusive for you, but it's regarding uh, To The Stars uh, reaching out to foreign countries and foreign governments to uh, entice them, or at least tell them you know, that, that, that they think that they should be essentially investigating UFOs as well, and why. Now, how did you run across this story? Um, there was a video released by a man named Sabir Hussein, and he um, is running the India-Pakistan initiative. And uh, he did a quick um, YouTube video, um, and he mentioned um, he had quotes in the video from Lou and from Putoff and other people. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of crazy stuff on YouTube. Um, I don't, I don't usually believe it, but, uh, after a friend of mine, Steven brought the video to my attention, I was able to ask around and, um, I was able to, um, make sure that the, uh, comments in the video were in fact, um, from Lou and put off and everyone else. And they were, so I thought that was pretty cool that I was able to just confirm it as authentic. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, from there on, I kind of just dug in. What were the nature of Lou's and uh, Dr. Hal Putoff's comments? And for those who don't remember, you know, Put- Hal Putoff is a, pretty much a lead scientist working with To The Stars. He owns the uh, company that they're also partnered with uh, on the Atom Project to uh, research the materials they found. And I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here, but uh, you probably remember. Do you remember the company? I can't remember right now that uh, Putoff... Uh, Perfect. Re- Earth Tech, exactly. Yeah, with Eric Davis as part of that. And uh, I believe Putoff's son helps him run it. Yeah, Colin. Mm-hmm. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, the uh, it was basically what the YouTube uh, video had was just excerpts from uh, their letters. Um, Lou and um, Dr. Putoff each wrote um, a letter to the Chief Justice of India, Um, That's in India's Supreme Court. I think I'm getting that correctly. And um, just basically stating their case and saying that they agreed with uh, Sabir's initiative and that the two countries need to um, be careful. They don't want a misidentification of UAP around their nuclear facilities or something like that. And that would cause, you know, some sort of a military event uh, because tensions are so high already in that area. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, do you know, who is this Sabir? 
He's a um, UFO uh, researcher. I think he's written a book. Um, I've been in contact with him a little bit. He seems like a nice guy. Um, since the story, I was able to contact him. And uh, he's still at, at this. Um, he's having some trouble. Uh, the It doesn't sound like the judges and people are, he's meeting with are taking him too seriously. But he's staying at it. And um, even if it doesn't succeed, I think it's just interesting to see how To the Stars is operating and how they care about some of these other issues um, and how they're doing their best to uh, help people around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, the angle that they took here is essentially that India and Pakistan are kind of, um, you know, in this, this Cold War uh, of their own. And uh, it's it's kind of scary because there's a lot of bellicose, you know, uh, inf- you know, talk rhetoric going back and forth. And that they're no, both, uh, you know, nuclear-enabled, uh, weapons-enabled countries – and that they could, you know, mistake a UFO for a missile, for example, and uh, start hostilities towards each other uh, based off of, you know, misinformation. Uh, so that's kind of the gist, it, it seems like, that they're getting at. Yeah, that's definitely the gist. And um, even if, you know, they're not, uh, the UAPs themselves aren't, um, posing a threat, they could be, you know, a military threat um, by being too close to the weapons or whatever they're doing, and um, it, it could be misidentified for an act of war. So that would mm-hmm. definitely be really bad. Um, and it's kind of the it's playing off a lot of the UFOs and nukes and things that we've been hearing um, about throughout the history of UFOs, and, and especially that's been highlighted in the last year or two. Um, basically these incursions in, in airspace. So um, mm-hmm. it's something to be wary of. And if countries don't um, realize this, you know, they can really get caught, I think. And uh, luckily now it sounds like the United States um, has been taking it seriously. So um, probably a lot of these other countries need to do the same. Mm-hmm. So you were able to uh, get the letters that, uh, so for instance, that video you talked about that Sabir Hussein put together referenced these letters that uh, Lou and uh, Hal Putov had written. You confirmed that those letters did exist, and you actually got copies. And you actually posted one what, a few days ago, the one from Hal Putov. And just today, right, you posted the one from Louise Elizondo. Yeah, and it's great to see just you know them in their own words making a case. Um, and it's not just an excerpt that was from the YouTube videos, but it was their whole letters. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically just them elaborating on uh, their careers for the Chief Justice of India and just kind of um, stating their case about why they think um, you know India and Pakistan need to be careful. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, like you said, that Hal Putoff in one of his statements, at least one in the video, is that he advised that the court, you know, consider the petition uh, petition of, of Sabir. Yeah, they definitely need to be considering it. And it doesn't sound like they are, but um, Sabir has other people in his corner uh, on this initiative as well, like Robert Salas and, um, and other people I named it in the blog. But... Um, you know, it, it's a serious thing, and uh, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of people in India maybe interested in the topic, so it's cool that uh, Sabir is advocating for it. Um, he wants 
uh, other people, even in the United States, to kind of be aware of what's going on um, in the Indian community and other um, communities in America. Mm-hmm. And Robert Salas, of course, for those of that are, may not be aware, uh, he had his own UFO incident uh, when he was, uh, let's see if I can remember all the details and dates of and everything, but, uh, and he has a book called Faded Giant, um, came out in 2005 about this entire uh, occurrence. Uh, let's see, uh, Salas essentially was... Uh, he working at kind of an underground facility that was in charge of uh, nukes. Um, let's see if I can remember the area. Do you remember like some of the details? I don't remember a lot of them. I just know he was one of the main witnesses for the the UFOs and nukes um, initiative, and uh, um, he got pretty famous off. Incredible, and, um, and now he stayed interested and uh, is still advocating for it. Right. Okay. It was March 1967. I've got some details here. And uh, he essentially was in the underground bunker. He gets a call from uh, up top and they're like, you know, we see some UFOs up here and they're freaking out. And, uh, you know, he said, well, just keep an eye on them. They're asking, what should we do? What should we do? Uh, And they were pretty scared. And he said, just, you know, relax and keep an eye as long as they're not doing anything, you know, overtly hostile, which they weren't. Um, Then uh, uh, all the, the, the nukes that they were in charge of go offline. He says they went into a no go condition. Um, see, once I get a little info, then I can, it all comes back. I haven't talked about this case in a while. And, uh, essentially they had to, they stayed in this no-go position. So at that moment, they would not have been able to launch these things, um, until some techs had to come and, uh, work on these things to get them working again. So just a, a really strange situation. And I know that, uh, yeah, Russia has had some similar experiences, uh, to that now, in Louise, in Lou's letter, he is referencing some situations, and he says uh, that both the United States and former Soviet Union endured well-documented instances instances in which technical systems erroneously reported missile alerts and activity that could have d- triggered a devastating uh, nuclear conflict, while UAPers. UAPs were not involved in those cases, and it seems an unlikely scenario. It is nevertheless worth taking serious, uh, seriously in light of the proximity of India and Pakistan. So that's kind of an interesting comment that he made there, that uh, at least the situations he was referencing did not have UFOs involved. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, it'd be great to hear um, him elaborate on that one point. A lot of people have made um, these um, cases for for what's happened, and uh, I don't know. Maybe Lou doesn't agree with it, or uh, maybe he's talking about different situations. But I'm not exactly sure um, what he means exactly by that line. But mm-hmm. um, it'd be a great question to ask him next time he's on. Yeah, and you know, he often will say, "I'm just not read up on that. I'm just re- not read up on that," and he doesn't want to speak to things that he isn't intimately familiar with. And uh, and that could be the case here if it wasn't a, an ATIP case and he just wouldn't know much about it and not want to speak to it. Yeah, definitely. He always says that. Mm-hmm. I wonder what some of these other cases are. It's a great question. Mm-hmm. 
But uh, as far as, you know, UFOs being mistaken for nukes, you know, we do have some record of that. Of course, we just talked to, about the Robert Sala case. Uh, you referenced in your article about all of this, uh, the book and the documentary by Robert Hastings, um, UFOs and Nukes, which is a, you know, both are great, great pieces of work. Uh, Robert Hastings, an amazing uh, researcher who's gotten together just tons of, of credible witnesses to events such as this. Um, I can think of one, a cop I knew in Denver. He said when he was working in the military, uh, and I forget which branch at this point, but he says he was in, in a room where they were watching radars and they saw an object on screen that they thought was a, a missile at first, but it kept going and kept going, and there was a lot of fear. And uh, they then, after it crossed several borders, had figured out that, oh, this is not a missile. And uh, he says they even had to call the Russians and say, hey, that's not us. What you're seeing flying across there, uh, that's something else, so don't freak out. <laughs> and uh, I guess there was some concern, and I guess the Russians were skeptical because they were like, yeah, right. You know, you could be tricking us. This stuff has happened over and over again, and um, I don't know if we're <clears throat> past the point of proof or, or where we are. Maybe we still need more data and radar and things like that to be released. But the uh, witness testimony says it happens over and over again and, um, and throughout uh, decades now. So it's to the point where I think where a lot of people buy into this story, um, especially uh, – you know, reporters and people that aren't UFO um, enthusiasts. This is one of the things that they take very seriously and, and seem to think is credible. And I, don't, I haven't uh, known anyone who's seen the um, Robert Hastings documentary or read the book that has come away from it um, thinking that it's uh, it's not credible. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, how did you get these letters? Did you just contact Lou and Hal and say, hey, uh, could you share those with me? I don't know if I should say exactly, but, you know, I always dig in and I try to contact everyone I can. And, um, and I was able to confirm them at first and then, uh, and then finally publish them. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's great. Now, why don't you tell me a little bit about, because, uh, Sabir actually seems like he, uh, you know, this was an initiative where he was trying to get this in, in front of the Supreme Court of India. Like, how has that gone so far? It hasn't gone well for him. Um, in fact, he just sent me another letter today. Um, I didn't publish it yet. I don't know if I will, but um, it's basically um, just speaking about um, his problem. And he um, originally went in front of, I think it was the justice or the judge, um, and they just didn't take him seriously. You know, it'd be kind of like probably what we would be happening in America. But um, uh, he's still sticking at it. And um, I don't know if this is going to end up you know, bearing fruit at all. But it, to me, it's just more of like the historical record of what to the stars is doing. Cause I'm, I'm focused on the, to the stars angle of it, mm-hmm. but, um, it's just interesting to see, um, you know, what they're doing and, and get these letters and, and you can, uh, get kind of a glimpse into how they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Now there was a statement that he wrote, uh, that, and I wasn't sure he, Sabir posted a letter, uh, and you wrote, you posted this in one of your articles uh, just the other day, uh, yesterday, actually. Uh, or no, this was last month, the 13th. And that letter is pretty positive. Who was that from? Oh, that was, 
that was Salas Salas, I think, Robert Salas. Oh, okay. He was talking he was kind of um giving Sabira pep talk after um he uh was getting resistance from mm-hmm. the Indian authorities and uh that he wasn't gonna stop and, and the, you know they're um they're gonna keep doing this. I think Robert Salas was even uh running for office of some kind recently. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that in there, but um I don't think he was elected either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it said in that letter. That makes sense. So that was from Salas. Yeah, he's a really interesting guy. Uh, and he wasn't the only one involved in that uh, video that you had mentioned before. I know uh, you had mentioned that Ricardo Bermudez was part of that. He is a guy who used to run uh, Chile Cefa'a. And then also Peru, who runs, I think it's Difa out of Peru, uh, Julio Chamorro. Uh, which is an interesting guy. Um, so that's pretty cool. So he's gotten a lot of support from researchers and, uh, in these cases, some government officials from around the world. I think Stan Freeman was involved, too, mm. um, originally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chamorro's interesting. Um, Chamorro had an incident that got him involved. Uh, are you familiar with that Chamorro situation? No, Ooh, let me tell you about it. So you made it to a couple of my talks in Dallas. Um, What were they? One was, oh, How a Rockstar Got Disclosure. And what was the other one? Do you remember? I think it was the international one about the different... um, Oh, the government UFOs. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because it was in that one. So, uh, yeah, Chamorro... Uh, and it's cool because we've gotten interviews at Open Minds with most of these people. But Chamorro's interest started in this amazing incident called the La Jolla case, where there was a dogfight with UFOs on April 11th of 1980. So, in this situation, it's like 7.15 a.m. And what Chamorro says is that all the personnel uh, at this base um, in Peru, Arequipa, uh, the La Jolla Air Base, they will come out and like do kind of a little parade or I guess get have an address, but they all come out onto uh, outside to do this, and then they get their orders and they go do their work, probably kind of like for pep top type of thing. Um, anyway, they were all out there doing this when I guess they kind of had an image situation. They saw a, a UFO. There was some sort of object that they all saw at the end of one of the runways. So a jet was scrambled to chase this thing. The guy flying the jet, his name was Commander Oscar Santa Maria Huertes. I think he's been to maybe one UFO conference around the United States before to talk about this. Can't remember which. but Or maybe it was James Fox and Leslie Kane that got him to the National Press Club. That could be it. I think that was it. But he says that he fired 60 rounds of 30 millimeter shells at this object, but it had little effect. He said these shells would blow up a truck, just one of them, but it didn't seem to affect this object at all. He said it seemed like it absorbed them. But he he chased this thing for 22 minutes before he had to go back to the base because he ran out of fuel and then the thing was gone. 
Um, so I guess there were like 2,000 people on the base outside that witnessed this whole thing. So it was a really big deal. Uh, the La Jolla case, people can look it up. But kind of like the Nimitz or kind of like Roosevelt, the other case on un- Unidentified, where, or kind of like Washington, D.C. in 1952, or we can list probably dozens of these cases where, uh, you know, objects are seen on radar or visual, visually or both. Jets are scrambled, and then the objects take off. Like, okay, play with you for a little while, but now we're out of here. Yeah, it's just more fuel in the fire. It's more um, cases from all around the world, and it's more credibility uh, for this subject and, and for it in general about the the nuclear connections, not only water, but nuclear. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess you could even argue that um, some of the... Uh, the Roosevelt and the Nimitz, they had weapons on them that, you know, the UAP may have been investigating also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting. And it's very, uh, there's a pattern at this point. Uh, I mean, would you agree to that? Do you think, I mean, just two cases doesn't maybe establish a pattern. But, you know, there's other cases like in Blue Book that, and this case. There seems to be a pattern where, you know, uh, David Fravor, the wing commander who chased the tic-tac in the Nimitz case, uh, it's the same thing. They fly out there, they're played with, and these things fly off. Yeah, and Elizondo himself said the, um, you know, it's it's all about nuclear and water. Those are the things that um, continuously get action, and uh, there has to be a reason for it. Um, I'm pretty sure that they think they're surveilling us. Um, I don't know what the water connection would be, but... Uh, for nuclear connection, it's pretty obviously them surveilling us. And uh, mm-hmm. but just to have other countries uh, also chime in, I mean, it's very credible. Now, um, not everyone thinks um, it is credible. I mentioned it in the blog that you know Valet thinks that maybe some of the cases are other countries kind of uh, disguising themselves on, as UFOs to confuse the nuclear workers and nuclear security. But um, I don't see how that could be the case for every single one. Um, and the uh, the Hastings um, video in book is just so thorough and it's really long. Like if you watch the documentary, it's extremely long and, you know, they're not mincing words and these are really credible, you know, veterans that are coming forward and saying this stuff. And I just don't see how they could all be discounted. And um, it really seems like this would is a key um, as far as lobbying or bringing this to Washington. This must be one of their main focuses that they're talking to the politicians about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is exciting um, for a couple other reasons, too. I mean, that you talked about the nukes and the weapons, especially the Hastings documentary. And it makes me think of, uh, I think there were two guys in there that were Rendlesham witnesses. Uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe that's what they were. Yeah, that essentially they were at a radar or they were at a, a, a tower for the base. And they said they caught this thing on radar and even saw it. And it looked football size. Uh, before it flew off, but it's it's another case where there are eyewitnesses seeing these things. It just happens over and over again throughout time, and it hasn't been um, only recently. It's been decades, decades. So I don't know what other conclusions they make, and um, I have heard from other scientists, and they don't know if it's a breakaway kind of secret technology that's doing all this. But some of these, I mean, if they're going back to the '60s and maybe prior. Um, it just seems really odd. And uh, even uh, some of the um, early crashes um, from the 40s may have been, you know, around um, 
some sort of weapons uh, areas. So we just don't know. And it seems like if there was tech, it wouldn't have gone back. Um, again, not everyone agrees, of course, and there's a lot of debating, but uh, it seems pretty credible to me. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be right back with the second half of this interview. Uh, you're listening to Open Mind UFO Radio, and I'm here with Danny Silva of the Silver Record. Check out his website at silver silverrecord.com. Otherwise, enjoy, if you're listening on a radio station, the uh, the commercials and uh, patronize some of the sponsors who keep this radio going. Uh, otherwise, if you're listening to the podcast, you'll hear a short musical interlude, and we'll be right back with Danny Silva. Welcome back to Open Mind UFO Radio. Uh, I am here with my guest, Danny Silver of SilverRecord.com. And I do like to make sure people understand, especially if they're new. And we've got so many new people uh, coming into this field and interested in some of the the more credible cases uh, when it comes to UFOs. Well, interested in all topics, UFOs. And... uh, the Rendlesham Forest incident, so people know, this took place in the UK. These were uh, bases that were on lease to the United States Air Force. And uh, there were two bases. Uh, let's see, one was Woodbridge, and the other was... You have to come up with the other one, Danny. I can't remember. Me either. I can't rem- believe I can't ben remember. Bentwaters. There you go. Bentwaters and Woodbridge. And um, in between them or near them is this forest. And, you know, they saw these objects in the forest. And then on two different nights, people were people from the base were able to go out and see lights in the forest or or some really odd things, including the base commander or or the assistant base commander, uh, Charles Halt, who later did become the base commander. He also uh, witnessed these these strange lights and everything. And what people didn't know at the time, or many didn't know, is that uh, secretly there were nuclear um, weapons on the base. They weren't technically, I guess, supposed to be, and not everyone has admitted to that, but uh, some have. So there were. Again, this ended up becoming a, a case with, with nukes. Interestingly enough, too, we were talking about how Bermudez was on this video by Sabir that you talked about, and Cefa'a, which is a Chilean UFO investigation organization that's part of their military, um, is a very, very active 
international UFO investigation organization. And uh, I think what's unique about them, not only have they had these incidents where they're chasing these things or have seen them, but they actually had a government uh, meeting to discuss whether or not they were posed a threat or not. And they determined they don't pose a threat, that they just must be here, you know, essentially trying to check us out. And uh, Bermuda says that everybody showed up um, actually, Leslie Kane wrote a Huffington Post story on this also. But everybody showed up to the meeting uh, with the assumption, because they had already determined that the UFO phenomena is real. So they're way ahead of the game compared to the U.S., who is kind of just kind of finally admitting that uh, right now. What do you think about uh, whether they're hostile or not? I try to not um, um, take a side on it. Um, I see why they're hostile from the military perspective because they're in um, our airspace and they're doing things like that. Um, I also know experiencers that think everything is good and that they're angels. And then I know experiencers that have had their lives ruined and uh, and wouldn't agree with that at all. Um, I make a point to not take a stance on that at all because it's such a problem issue. It's really divisive. And, uh, I just try to report both sides equally. And, um, so I just kind of stay out of that. But, uh, to me, I guess personally, I would think it would be a mixture of the two. Um, yeah, I think it's a mixture of the two. Um, at the end of the day, that's what I would say. But, uh, I generally try to stay out of it and, um, and just report on both sides because, uh, it's really, really divisive and, um, People get really emotional about it, and uh, but I think um, when To the Stars gets critiqued about saying how it's uh, a threat, I think sometimes it's taken out of context, and, and some of the time they're just, um, you know, they're talking from a military standpoint or an ATIP standpoint and not necessarily from a normal human standpoint. Um, you also know that there is a lot of injuries and uh, that happen to people, and um, whether it's intentional or not, uh, these people do end up getting injured and some of them even die, which is horrible situations. But, uh, um, you know, some people say the orbs and whatnot are getting too close and it's an accident that people get injured, but I don't know what to believe. And, uh, I'm just, I'm going to continue to report both sides of it. Mm -hmm. I think that's wise. And that's exactly what I try to do is just kind of report both sides and, and who knows? I think that it's, it's, I could see why the, uh, Chilean government came up with uh, what they determined, but I can also see why uh, ATIP, you know, takes a stance they do. I think Lou explains it very well when he says, uh, and Ben Hansen, uh, who spoke at the UFO Congress, uh, brought this up, and because uh, he loves this this analogy too, and it makes sense. Where Lou says, "Look, if you woke up in the morning." and you saw footsteps in your kitchen, uh, you know, and you, so obviously there's evidence that someone was in your house while you were sleeping, uh, while you and your, your family were asleep. Uh, of course, that might not have been a malicious person. You don't know. But especially, you know, as a dad or as a parent, and it's your, you feel it's your job to, the security, keep your family safe, you would consider that a threat. You would be highly, highly concerned. And I think that's a great example of why it's important for us to be concerned 
about the potential threat until we absolutely know. Yeah, and, and there's on-the-record um, instances of, of people being injured, like I said, like Kolaris Island and things like that. And mm-hmm. I know some important scientists that think um, you know, that that's a real credible uh, event. I mean, Jacques Vallée wrote all about it, and um, he's you know the legend that really seems to know what's what usually. And uh, But um, one of the scientists um, always used this quote that he gave me. He said, it showed, Kolaris Island shows that, quote-unquote, they're not all of our space brothers. Mm-hmm. So that's just his opinion, but... Uh, um, I think it holds a lot of weight. And what happened in that case? There was um, a lot of orbs seen um, over days or weeks, and other craft were seen, and uh, people were injured, and um, the Brazilian military came in, um, press came in. There was a lot of uh, photos and data, records of injuries. Some of it was released. Uh, some of it was written about it by Jacques, Jacques Vallée, but... Uh, a lot of it also became secret, um, and we've never seen it before. Um, and then it kind of goes off uh, after that. Um, later on, uh, Bass um, also investigated it um, years later, and um, that was a whole other kind of ball of wax. But um, I just would like to see some of this stuff uh, out into the public. Um, a lot of people think that uh, Bigelow bought everything up, um, and is keeping it to himself. However, if you read the valet book, uh, he's talking about another rich person buying it up because when he wrote that book, Bigelow wasn't in action as far as I know. So mm-hmm. it sounds like various people have some of this data and, um, evidence and, and video, um, locked away somewhere. And of course we know, uh, if Bigelow had it during Bass, then that would have been, you know, a government, uh, behind government clearances and things like that. But um, I'm assuming someone else has all this stuff, and I just hope one day it comes out because it seems very important. Um, people keep bringing it up, like put off and, and ballet and others. So um, it's almost like they don't want us to forget about it and, and uh, mm-hmm. keep thinking about it. I've been uh, working on a blog about this for a long time, and um, I've never felt comfortable putting it out, basically, because I don't feel like I have the full picture and I don't have enough answers Um to make myself feel comfortable in order to do it. So I don't know if I ever will, but um, I'm going to keep kind of digging into it. And uh, it's really, really interesting. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. 1977 was when that case took place, a Calera's incident. And like you said, yeah, those were claims where people seemed to get hurt. And uh, it would be interesting to ask the Sefa'a as well, if they looked into that case, but like you made a great point earlier, you know, that uh, there's many who fight that. No, it's, you know, they're spinning things and they're trying to, you know, this is a government conspiracy to be afraid of the aliens and think of them as badly. Uh, and what's interesting about that, too, is that these are often people who believe in the abduction phenomena. And uh, which has always been kind of weird to me that, you know, the, the these people who believe that people are being taken out of their beds and, and given, you know, uh, medical examinations without, uh, against their will, you know, a lot of people feel that uh, that's okay, that, you know, whatever they're doing is for the benefit of us, and that, you know, all these people are, are good people, uh, whoever's doing this abduction thing. 
there's a lot of weird dichotomies and the, the more I get into this and the more I'm able to talk to people that I feel are important um, or important scientists behind the scenes or whoever you want to call it, um, I realize that not everyone agrees and uh, some people don't agree on abductions, some people don't agree, agree on uh, cattle mutilations. Um, I think it would be important to kind of get the core story, which a lot of people talk about. And uh, no wonder um, when to the stars or Lou or anyone else brings this stuff to the uh, government or to DC that they're only talking about the bare minimum because there's a lot of gray area on the rest of this stuff. And without hard facts, we just can't bring it to the public yet. Um, look at how much people argue about it in the UFO community. So we just really need hard facts in order to bring it to others. I think that's a great point, and at least inside To the Stars, we know one case, for example, uh, people disagree on is is the Bob Lazar case, the case that made Area 51 famous. The, um, Eric Davis, one of the scientists who works with Hal Putoff, who's worked with Bigelow uh, and ATIP and has been there the entire time, uh, he, uh, and I think he, I, we might have touched upon this in my last interview with him, he does not believe Lazar whatsoever. As a scientist, he says that the science is way off. It's wrong. He can't be right. He's he's lying. Uh, whereas, you know, Tom DeLong recently, in the last couple of days, tweeted about how he helped print Bob Lazar's autobiography and uh, that he admitted, you know, we don't have enough facts to verify anything here, but uh, it's interesting nonetheless, and at least it jives with some of what Tom believes it sounds like uh, so and of course George Knapp is the guy who brought Bob Lazar out and George Knapp is very close with Bigelow and ATIP and everyone um, so uh, it's to your point not everybody agrees I'm sure there's many things uh, you and I disagree about we could probably come up with those but this isn't about what we disagree about is <laughs> it about you know information <laughs> but still you know you can't get two researchers in a room and and they're going to agree on everything. And, uh, you know, that's okay. But uh, like you said, that makes it more important to stick to the facts and to bring out the facts, which can be hard to come by at times. There seems to be a problem, and I'd love to hear your kind of opinion on this, the, the discipline. Um, so, you know, you've worked with, you've talked with Eric Davis before, I believe. You've talked with Help Put no, Off. Actually, I've never talked. No, I've never oh, you talked haven't? Okay. No, I've, I have communicated with Put Off. Mm -hmm. But after all of these years, I mean, of, of hard work, there's still not a whole lot of data and information. I think it's largely a, a resource issue in many ways. But even if you look at these letters, one thing that I gather from them, from Louis, Lou and from Hal, is there's not like a lot of hard data. They're referencing that... Um, there have been incidents, um, you know, neither of them were really even completely specific about UFO incidents other than to say, watch unidentified because uh, we're going to have some great cases on there, which they did. Uh, there was some great information in there. But kind of like we talked about earlier, they didn't really specifically reference the nukes or the nuclear situation. Uh, and neither did the Navy. The Navy specifically said they've had these incursions during training exercises. Um, to me, that demonstrates a lack of information all around. Yeah, I always, you know, sometimes um, it's me looking 
into the government from and being on the outside, but we kind of assume that there's all this data and um, proof within the government. I basically do feel still feel like that, but um, um, at least in the public, there's other stuff, but uh, maybe not with the nuclear facilities. Maybe it's a lot of witness testimony, but I don't know. I mean, maybe if you add up some of the radar and um, I don't know if they took readings or, or anything else around there, but it, it feels like, and maybe this is pure ignorance, like I said, but it feels like there's these smoking guns around and we're either ignoring them or people are sitting on them. But um, at the same time, we got to put it together and, and present it to the public. But that's why the Nimitz is so um, amazing, really. And uh, that's why I still consider it the best, uh, the best case ever now, best documented mm-hmm. case ever. Right. It's a great case. Now, when you were talking earlier about, you know, potential uh, um, smoking guns out there, uh, do you feel that maybe to the stars has information that they're not sharing and or do you think that there's information they're not privy to? I think even if they do know about it, they're probably under NDAs and um, or um it's just other places and they, they can't access it. So I think they're releasing everything they can. I think a lot of this falls on these world governments and, and or other people like whoever bought up uh, the Kolaris uh, data and video. So um, I don't see that to the stars doing that. In fact, someone asked me recently, um, why aren't there more videos coming out? Well, that's because of the government. That's not because of to the stars sitting on them and telling people that they're not going to release them and um, they need proof and they can't just, put it out there even if they had them they'd be going to jail for it so um you know this to the government that's why lobbying is important that's why changing some of the laws that's why getting these usaps um to have to answer to people or the um the independent research uh and development companies um all this stuff they, they need to come out from the um, shadows and, and share with the world what they know mm-hmm. yeah the lobbying uh just to speak to that you know um, I've talked to Chase Kletsky a little bit lately, and she's in D.C. Uh, I guess she's had some conversations out there, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and, of course, she shared some pictures where uh, she's had dinner or lunch with Lou while he's out there uh, doing his uh, advocating for all of this out there. So she's working. Uh, and Alien Con, uh, Steve Bassett was there. And, uh, you know, he's been... Uh, at least I don't, you know, I don't know the details. I've heard lately there's a lot of nuances to being an official lobbyist. So I don't know uh, what kind of thresholds people need to meet or who meets what threshold. But uh, certainly uh, he's been there in Washington working for many years. And he says that uh, he's got a new office there at the National Press Club. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, that sort of thing is important, communicating. And of course, To the Star seems to be really heavily. In fact, uh, and I, I would love to hear what you have to say. It's my sense, because a lot of people have asked, what are they up to? What are they doing? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? That really, you know, uh, there are a bunch of it. They have a large group of advisors, but the guys on the ground, you know, are not are not many people, mostly Lou. Uh, Tom is off doing uh concerts right now he has been for the last few weeks he's he's traveling with angels and airwaves uh so he's not with them on the ground uh lute seems to be you know we know this through the pictures with chase and and others in washington quite a bit so they seem to have their hands full with that uh let alone 
the second season of Unidentified coming up. So, I mean, these are really busy people. Um, so it seems like their priority is along the lines of what you discovered here, reaching out to our government um, and other governments as well. Yeah, and, you know, even if they're making connections where they don't have to do everything, but they're introducing the right people to talk, I think in D.C. that's also what they're doing. Um, it doesn't always have to just benefit them. It has to benefit the subject or the topic at large. Um, and I think that's important to to show um, where their heart is on this. Um, and um, a lot of people are probably in D.C. and they wouldn't be considered lobbyists, or even if they are, we may not know their names. And uh, um, I think they're probably still making moves out there and, and making phone calls. Um, Chris Herndon would be one of them. Um, I'm not so sure he's considered a lobbyist, quote unquote, but we know his, he has Washington connections and you know, he's, we know he's working on the subject. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And uh, so there's people out there, you know, making things happen. And, and another thing to your point that, you know, when people ask, why haven't we seen more videos? I also get the sense that uh, Lou did not expect to, well, I don't think he expected, which is kind of sad, to be uh, confronted with, with as much negativity from the government side or from the UFO researcher side as he has. I think that's been a, you know, something that is kind of a bummer to him that uh, he has gotten, I don't, he's gotten, of course, there's all kinds of fighting on the UFO community. I know you and I talking here for whatever reason is going to generate, I'm sure, a lot of controversy and a lot of people saying, oh, I can't believe they said what they said. But um, there's so much of that going on. And then with the government, uh, it seems like, you know, he was very enthusiastic that I'm going to get in there. I know there's these other videos out there. They're not mine to release, but I'm going to get the help get them out there. And it seems like uh, and, and he has expressed this a little bit to me. Uh, that, you know, there's a lot more foot dragging. There's a lot more people who are more hesitant to share uh, than they said they were earlier, or at least he thought they would be earlier. Um, do you kind of get that sense? I do, probably. And um, I think it's also unfortunate that To The Stars is basically the only public company working towards these goals. Mm-hmm. Um, there should be other groups doing this kind of thing. And that's why so many uh, To The Stars get so many shots thrown at them. Because... Um, they're the only people in public. They're on that pedestal and they're the only people doing it. We know there's all this knowledge and there's all these people behind the scenes working. And um, I would just really hope that in the future they come out and I want there to be rivals to, to the stars. There's, everything shouldn't fall on their shoulders and they shouldn't have to do everything and pull all the weight. There should be other people doing this. And um, I just really hope that, um, that that happens. And, there are other groups that we know about, um, you know, Valet and Nolan, Dr. Nolan are, are doing the uh, meta material mm-hmm. analysis. And I'm really excited about that. And, and we got um, Jeremy Corbell and, and George Knapp doing a lot. And there's the new owner of Skinwalker that seems to be doing great. Um, there's Bigelow, although he's been pretty quiet lately other than the orb video. And uh, there's a few others, but by and large, it's all to the stars. And um, I just think that's really unfortunate. And there should be more people putting everything on the line like Elizondo and to the stars do in order for forward progress. But uh, for whatever mm-hmm. reason, so many other people are staying quiet. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they're kind of on their own. I think they feel that. I mean, uh, it's a lot to put on their shoulders, um, but they're taking it on. 
Thank goodness. And that's one of the reasons I think we all need to be a little more positive. You know, none of us are perfect and maybe they're not doing things the way you would like them to do it, but they're doing something. And obviously they've made some incredible strides in that we do have the Navy now saying that they take UFOs seriously and that, you know, these videos that were released, um, now we know because of Luis Elizondo, are in fact UFOs. They're unidentified that the, the Navy cannot explain. I mean, we've come so far. And uh, and the negative stuff is, is unfortunate. The uh, And we know that there's more videos. We know there's probably clear videos. Dave Fravor said there's an HD version of the Tic Tac. But everything is focused on only what Elizondo and to the stars can get out of the government. Um, it's like we need to be putting more pressure on our um, on our elected if that would work. But we need to come up with some other way so everything just doesn't fall on Elizondo and to the stars in order to get mm-hmm. these videos out. I mean, the public knows that there's that there's other videos and we want to see them. So why mm-hmm. can't we? You know, yeah. and um, we got to figure something else out to uh, to get these released to the public. Yeah, I'm really interested in what Mark Walker is going to do. He's part of Homeland Security. Uh, he is a uh, in the House of Representatives, and he's the guy who wrote the letter to the Navy saying he wanted more information. And, uh, you know, we know from Brian Bender's article that uh, the Navy responded and kind of blew him off, and, and uh, Walker was not happy about that. So uh, I, I'm interested to know if Walker follows up and, and what he may do. Uh, or maybe even others in Washington, D.C. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting time. And I don't get the feeling, and you're the perfect person to ask about this uh, as well. Um, I mean, there's still more in all of our hoppers. I don't get the feeling that uh, uh, things are slowing down, that we're going to s- continue to get these great headlines uh, and revelations into the the future. I think uh, we're getting a lot of teases and uh, um, of big things that could be happening. Um, Tom's talking about it, and and I know a lot of stuff has been going on in D.C. And I think um, in 2019 um, we're probably going to close the year out pretty strongly, and uh, and then there's going to be uh, season two of Unidentified in um, next year, and that's mm-hmm. going to be a whole other animal. I think they were getting their feet wet in season one, and um, season two uh, they'll be more experienced, and it's going to be even more impactful as far as the public's perspective. We'll see. I hope so. Uh, you know, I hope they haven't run out of content and we'll hear, see them try to tackle historic stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, there should be some uh, – you brought up the meta materials. Uh, but one more thing before we're done, and we're almost done. But uh, you brought up Bigelow. And, you know, we haven't heard anything really about the paranormal from Bigelow for quite some time. But he posted a video – with no really supplemental information, which seems to show some kind of orb in it, uh, a light orb. What's up with that? What do you know about that? What's going on with that, you think? Um, well, George Knapp said uh, he felt like Bigelow was basically getting his feet wet again, and maybe he was getting a little bored. Um, <laughs> a lot of people thought that it was a joke, that Bigelow did it as a joke, and I can go on record as telling you it wasn't a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, people think that people act like they just looked at it for 10 seconds and they already automatically knew what it was, but it happened in like 2011 and these scientists and Bass and, and Bigelow employees have been looking at it for nine years. And, 
they do you know what the, a lot of these the setup was like where it was and what we see in the video it was a highly um uh i don't know if classified would be the right word it was a highly secure um structure and i think anyone who even knows what that structure is is under ndas hmm. um or 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 what was going on there um and there's you see this orb fly in a lot of people say it's dust or an insect but from my sources, what they're telling me is it would be highly unlikely any of that could have occurred, and there probably wasn't even airflow in there. And um, I think we only know a little bit about this story. Um, and um, I just hope more comes out. Um, George Knapps thinks that uh, Bigelow will probably speak on it, and I hope they do. But again, you know, one, of course, uh, everyone was arguing about it, and it was a big uh, controversy. But um, of course, I don't know for sure. I wasn't there what happened, and maybe it is a book, but. I just know that these guys are really serious people and you know, bug theory or the dust theory, and they didn't think it was true or else they wouldn't put it out. Hmm. So interesting. And, and it seems like George Knapp is aware of what it is because he does say, you know, in that tweet that you were mentioning, didn't think I would ever see that video on Twitter. What does it look like to me? It looks like Bob Bigelow dipping his toes back into the water. Yeah, kind of indicating is Bob Bigelow getting back into all of this. Some people suspect that Bigelow is behind to the stars, that he's helping fund it and um, and is involved with some of that research. Um, I have not seen evidence of that, and I'm skeptical of that. But uh, what do you think? I'm also skeptical. I don't think he's like some Illuminati type guy that's pulling the strings on everything. I think uh, he had to kind of slow down and he started working on his NASA stuff. And I'm sure he still has some irons in the fire as far as paranormal things. But generally, I think he had to uh, kind of step back and he, his interests were starting to go other places in the space company. And um, kind of, to the stars kind of took over. I would like to hear more from some of the To the Stars advisors and other people like Colm Kelleher. We don't get to hear from him in a To the Stars capacity, even though he's listed on the website. Mm-hmm. Um and there's some of those other scientists and people that we've just never heard of, but, uh, yeah, but so there is kind of, uh, some of the same people in both situations, but then there's also people that didn't have anything to do with Bigelow that are now members of the stars. So I don't think it's a Bigelow operation. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. I agree with you. I don't think so. And I think that this, uh, latest video, uh, and I think what Nap's hinting at is maybe he wants to get involved again, which, uh, I think would be great. I think that, you know, for whatever reason, the UFO community, the the thing that the UFO community has never had is resources. It takes a lot of money to do the scientific analysis and the type of analysis that is very convincing uh, to the mainstream. Uh, but every time we get a major player with some money involved with all of this, uh, the large amount of the UFO community balks and they, they get their they're very cruel and they try to tear down, you know, these big uh, sponsors. And certainly that happened with Bigelow. It's happening now with Tom DeLong, And it's very unfortunate and so sweet, weird. I don't understand it personally at all. But uh, it's my point of view. And I had, a, a, you know, kind of a front row seat with a lot of this Bigelow, some of this Bigelow stuff. That uh, it was very positive. It was great. Is what we needed, and uh, I personally would very much welcome uh, Bob Bigelow coming back. 
I would love it. NIDS was, you know, historic, and um, I'm just glad that a lot of those people that were associated with NIDS are still working in the, in other capacities. But um, we definitely needed it, and it was probably one of the most serious uh, initiatives ever. And now, luckily, we have To the Stars. But, um, you know, without NIDS and without To the Stars and some of this other stuff, um, it would have been a pretty slow couple of decades, I think, as far as <laughs> hard research happening. It would have just been people here and there on their own. And um, we should be thankful for these big, uh, big stories. People always yelled at the government and, and asked them to tell them, tell us what's going on. And they told us a little bit. They told us about ATIP. And now they don't trust them, and they're throwing it back at them. So we can't have it both ways like that. And we need to be grateful right. when we do get information. We can still be distrustful, but we need to still be grateful when things happen. I totally agree. Well, thank you so much for being on the show again. Of course, people can go to silverrecord.com to see more. And, you know, you'll see more about all these topics we're talking about. Of course, this is the only place you can go for these exclusive letters that Danny was able to post. But also the Mark Walker, uh, the Walker letter we were talking about earlier. He's got articles on that. You've got an article on that Bigelow uh, Orb video uh, so people can see that. Uh, you've got uh, stuff here on Tom DeLong. You've even got an interview, your own interview with Chase Kletsky, uh, who we uh, mentioned earlier. So you've got a ton of great stuff on the website. I guess my last question for you will be uh, if you can give us any clues on what you're working on, what's coming up. I don't know now. I'm kind of at that point. I just put out the, I just put out the Elizondo letter today. Um, I would have told you that if you had asked earlier today, but I don't know what's next. Actually, I don't always know where my next story is coming from, so I'm gonna have to wait and see. Um, mm-hmm. So it's as I just now. All right. Well, great work on getting these letters, and I was super excited. Uh, to see the the Elizondo letter out there. And it's interesting. Do you have a sense on whether they're sending these letters to other countries? I don't know. I mean, I I would assume that they're in contact with other countries. And I think this was a specific situation with Sabir. But Mm -hmm. um, we know they've been in contact with other countries, and um, they're they're probably advocating similar things. Um, I'm sure that they're telling other countries to get involved and... and, uh, you know, get be more open, and if they have programs, talk about them or, or start programs. But the right. specific situation, I think, was um, unique. But uh, we know that they are interacting with other countries. Great. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Alejandro. I appreciate it. You're the man. Thank you so much to Danny Silva for joining us for the show. Uh, you can check out his website at silverrecord.com. We're really lucky to have people like Danny who are following the latest and the greatest and then also doing his own digging to make his own discoveries about some of the exciting stuff that's going on right now. I mean, we're in unprecedented times where we have uh, former government insiders working with government insiders and uh, people in Washington, D.C., including lawmakers and military leadership, all concerned about UFOs. I mean, what the heck? This is crazy. Uh, we've never been here before, so it's really exciting stuff. Uh, otherwise, as you can hear, you know, uh, this isn't my regular mic and everything because I have moved, so I'm even in a different state, and so I don't have everything up yet, but uh, many of you wanted a show, and I, trust me, wanted to get you a show, so I got this podcast together. 
Next week, we'll have another show, and I should have all my regular equipment up, so it should sound as it normally does. But uh, fortunately, I think my iPhone and, uh, you know, my MacBook with uh, just some headphones that I could plug in uh, did the trick and sounded pretty well, I think. Anyway, thank you all so much for joining us every week and being patient with me in uh, the last couple of months. just been kind of hectic. Also, it was so cool to meet so many of you at AlienCon a couple weekends ago. That was a lot of fun. And to those of you listeners who were able to come and say hi, thank you so much for doing so. It's always wonderful to see and meet some of the listeners. Uh, otherwise, you know, I guess be sure to keep a lookout for UFOcongress.com. Go to UFOcongress.com and look at the videos. You can also find that at videos.ufocongress.com. And this is where our on-demand videos are. So the 2019 the, uh, videos, the, the lectures from the UFO Congress are already getting posted. And let's see what's up there right now. There's the Kevin Day uh, one, and I actually interview him, and then we'll have up a Calvin Parker one soon. So Kevin Day was a radar operator on the Nimitz. He did a great job answering audience questions and speaking to, you know, what happened to him and what he saw in 2004 when they had that UFO encounter, but also his thoughts on some of the recent news regarding the Navy, uh, which was really interesting. And then Calvin Parker, man, this guy is a character. He's so funny. And he doesn't necessarily uh, mean to be. He kind of sometimes does because he, he just likes to keep things fun. But uh, he also is really interesting and comes across as so credible. And, of course, he had some amazing experiences in the 70s that we talk about. So a lot of good stuff at the UFO Congress uh, on demand. And it's only a few bucks a month to have access to hundreds of former lectures from the UFO Congress. So check out UFOcongress.com for that. All right, lots of exciting news coming up, guys, and so stay tuned. Uh, We'll talk to you next week, and until then, adios muchachos.